You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Joining us in a few seconds is Sports Radio 610 Mad Radio host Seth Payne. Welcome aboard, everybody. This one should be fun. Robert Land from the Houston Sports Talk podcast, along with co-host Brian Patterson from Fansided's HouseofHouston.com. Thanks for diving into your best daily source of Texans news, views, and interviews. And on the line with us is one of the original Houston Texans, Seth Payne. And Seth, this is the perfect week to catch up with you since you only played for two NFL teams, the other being the Texans opponent this Sunday. What do you remember about getting picked in the expansion draft from the Jags back in 2002? Oh, gosh. I've got a lot of memories of that. The coolest thing was just that they they went all out and made it like a fake draft. You know, it was like my mock. It was my fantasy draft because they they did it up like it was Madison Square Garden. And, uh, you know, we there were I you guys probably remember it better than I do. How many guys did they actually take at that draft? It was uh, I think it was eight of us. And so. It was Aaron Glenn and um, and Marcus and was Tony Baselli. You were kind of pa- you were kind of part of a package, right? Because it was you and and Gary Walker and and Baselli sort of came. You know, he, you guys, the Texans, sort of had to take Baselli uh, if they wanted both you and Walker. Is that right? That's the way it was explained to me, and I don't think that would have been completely above board, so I don't think anybody would ever go out on record with that <laughs> because the, the teams had the ability to pull guys back. I don't know I don't know if the Texans needed to make any kind of deal like that with the Jaguars just because the Jaguars were in rough cap shape, you know, and they ended up letting Keenan McCardle go um, and, and a few other really key guys within that two-year window. So the Jaguars had spent really, really heavily – uh, trying to go after that Super Bowl, and we just were we were a whole bunch of cap casualties, which on a side note is why I'm kind of surprised that Jacksonville has spent as heavily as they have these last two years with Coughlin because they, they're they setting themselves up over where over the next couple of years they might have to let go of a bunch of veterans. But uh, that's that's completely another topic. Uh, the, the really the coolest thing was just that it felt like everything that I'd ever heard about Texas in terms of people going big and just doing things big that, that felt very much like that where every other expansion draft had been just kind of a muted, you know, done in a hotel conference room type of affair. They felt like they went all out and it was uh, it was a really cool welcome to Houston. Was it a big help to come along with Walker and, and Biselli, even though he, he never did play just guys that, you knew and is it tough or were you happy to to get out of Jacksonville I was happy I was excited to get a new change you know and just for me personally I you know I came into Jacksonville as a young player and I got to play a lot earlier on and and we were a good team but we also had a lot of older veterans on that team so for me uh, all of a sudden it was a different role where I was going to be one of the elder guys on the team in terms of experience and and playing ability and all of that so I got to take on more of a leadership role and I think Gary Walker and I, Gary, you know, it's funny because Gary and I, Gary and I had like a, Gary and I were like two Catholic people that were in a marriage that we loved each other, but we're never going to get divorced, even though we hate each other sometimes. Um, <laughs> we, Gary, Gary and I had like a love hate relationship the entire time we played with each other and we'd get, in, we'd get in huge fights. We wouldn't talk to each other for weeks. Then we'd be best friends for, uh, you know, a couple months. Then we get in some argument again. And, but we were always very, we were the consummate professionals on the field. So it was fun just to, it was fun to go there with Gary and it kind of changed our relationship, just being the veteran guys on that defensive line and, uh, and, and taking on that leadership role. 
It sounds like the odd couple. I'm, I'm hearing like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, well, it was, you know, what? it was, it was cool because, you know, I'm just, a, I'm a white kid from, uh, from a kind of suburban rural area in upstate New York. And, and Gary's a, a black guy from, uh, from, uh, rural Georgia. And, uh, we, we both kind of, we had, we came from different worlds and probably learned a lot from each other. And, uh, it was, uh, it was really cool. We get to, we'll see each other about once a year now and uh and just and bust on each other for for a couple hours is it true you were from like a family of farmers is that right that's what wikipedia says anyway yeah my uh my father's side of the family is all dairy farmer and uh they are all dairy farmers or most of them are dairy farmers so i grew up working on dairy farms you know between my dad and then uh, my, my uncles and my cousins, that was, that was my summer job. That was what I did for, you know, from the time I was 13 or so, that's what I did every summer all the way up until I, until I got drafted in the NFL. And that, that is work that makes the NFL seem really, really easy. I always felt like I had an advantage over guys because I, I would rather be doing anything on earth other than balling hay in August. So, uh, so football never <laughs> seemed all that hard for me. <laughs> well, I mean, we're going to get into the current Texans, but I was thinking about this still and, is your team's win against the Cowboys in game one still the franchise's most memorable win? I, I don't think so. I mean, those play, uh, the first playoff victory, especially, I mean, I even, I wasn't there for it. I was watching in a, in a small bar outside of only in New York when they, uh, when, uh, when JJ had that huge play in that game. And, uh, and that might be my most exciting memory and in, in, uh, in, in Texans history. So, I, I don't. I think it was the biggest one for the first five or six or seven years until they started to have that success again. But it's definitely. I, I think from emotionally, and I know just from talking to a lot of the Texans fans, especially the ones that have had season tickets since the very beginning. I know. I know how big and how momentous it was for people that had really missed football for all those years. Last year, Deshaun started six games. The Texans' offense averaged thirty points per game. The O-line's still poor, not much better or worse. From what you can tell, his receiving core with the addition of QT looks better. So nothing much has changed, but now O'Brien is a punchline. Deshaun holds the ball too long, makes poor decisions, is a human pinata. Do you have <laughs> any idea how it took this 180-degree turn? Can you please explain this? I don't. Yeah, I'm still in the midst of trying to figure it out myself. And I usually I do my typical thing where on Monday I want to lash out at the world. And then I go back and I start watching. And they don't have the all-22 out yet, but I'm watching the TV copy. And, and I'm, I'm realizing, okay, you know what? This... This team can move the ball, and uh, especially up until this game, they were moving the ball pretty well. They're good enough to be third or fourth in yardage in the NFL, but they just can't score when they get down to the red zone, obviously. I, I think there are a few major things. One is just the play at offensive tackle. And, and I'm not overly enthused about the play at center and guard right now, but you could win with those, with that play. Um, and then well, shoot, they're winning. We're winning with that offensive line right now for now. Uh, but the offensive tackle play, you just can't rely on. And then Deshaun, you know, I found an interesting stats when I was some, an interesting stat when I was going through the NFL next gen stats. And it's that Deshaun ranks among the lowest in the league in in the number of tight window throws that he'll make um, in, in terms of kind of, you know, throwing a receiver open, throwing it to him when it looks like he might not be open, those types of throws. Deshaun is very low on that list this season. And I think that meets the eyeball test, especially when you get down to the red zone where uh, he's not taking, 
he's not taking appropriate chances with the ball at times. I think, I think he's being extremely careful with it and, and he's just not letting it go and trusting his anticipation and he'll do it late in the down, you know, as we saw in that interception on Sunday, but he's just, he's just not feeling it for whatever reason. And then it comes to the, the Bill O'Brien side, which is okay. Is Bill O'Brien not coaching him up to get comfortable? Is it that Deshaun still doesn't feel completely 100% healthy? I actually, I might be the one person in America that's okay with Bill O'Brien's play calling. I'm not okay with the way Bill O'Brien has prepared the team because they're not executing. And even guys that aren't, aren't necessarily good NFL players even still should know what they should know, look like they know what they're doing. And there's just too many instances on some of these plays that go bad in the run game and the pass game where it's very clear that guys flat out know, don't know what they're doing. So I guess the, the holy triumvirate right now for me on the offense would be offensive tackles, Deshaun Watson to a certain degree. And that's, in, that's, that's all intertwined with Bill O'Brien and how he's prepared the offense. Yeah, Brian and I, we're, we're going to ask you about a little deep diving maybe into the offensive line because it's just still the most interesting thing about the offense. But I uh, just want to remind everybody that if you're enjoying the show, tell your friends and support us by sharing our show links with your social media followers. Take a few seconds and rate us on iTunes as well. You can email us for questions or comments at LockedOnTexans at Mail.com. Hey, the Jags favored by four and a half over the Texans Sunday. The over-under is 43. If you think you can make some money or you'd like to put a few bucks on any games this week, go to mybookie.ag. Remember who you're betting on. It's just as important as who you're betting with. They've been in business for years, have great reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use. I'd only recommend a service that's been good to me. That's why I urge you to make your way to mybookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting over-unders on fantasy points scored, and the most rewarding player perks in the biz. If you're willing to deposit after 6 p.m. Central, they'll give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. Join now, and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. You just use the promo code LOCKEDON. That's us, LOCKEDON, LOCKEDON25 to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today. If you wait till 6 p.m., you get an extra $25 free play. Again, use the promo code LOCKEDON25. Go ahead, wait till after dinner and take the extra money. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. All right, Seth, uh, the Texans have allowed 25 sacks so far, second most in the NFL. What percentage of the blame do you put on Deshaun for that? Is it like 20%, 30%, 50%? Oh, boy. And, and that's, again, that's hard. It's hard because I I saw what David Carr went through, um, and I saw how having a porous offensive line turned David Carr into a worse quarterback and, and, and a worse guy in terms of judging the pass rush than he probably would have been maybe under more ideal circumstances. And don't, don't get me wrong. Deshaun's got way more potential and natural ability, obviously than, than David did, but I, but I've seen what it can do to a player. So I think there are times where last year, Deshaun, do you remember how just surreally calm he was in the pocket where he would stand with his feet just planted like Tom Brady does? And and that was one of the things I was most excited about. This year, I see a little bit more skittishness, and I can't blame him because at times, even when there's a pocket, there's still push up the middle and it's a constricted pocket, you know, and he's not a, he's not a six foot six quarterback that can handle that constricted pocket as easily as a guy that, that, that can stand up there and kind of dissect the defense. So I think that's understandable, but it has led to situations where perhaps 
Perhaps he's dropped his eyes and looked at the rush. Perhaps he's scrambled before he's had to scramble. I actually thought, you know, ironically in that Bills game, in, in what was his worst passing game, I actually was impressed with some of the some of his pocket movement. Remember that early, that first completion to QT, he did a really nice job climbing the pocket there um, and, and not panicking and just getting rid of the ball. I think there was some play actions where he turned, you know, he was under center. He executed the fake turnaround and let the ball fly immediately. And I thought that was really good. And that was something to build on. But there have been a few times where he's either holding onto the ball too long. He's taking those chances outside the pocket. My, you know, Mike Meltzer and I on our show were talking about how if there's a silver lining to his ribbon, whatever his injury is, I don't know. I Bill O'Brien gets all angry if you even bring it up. Um, <laughs> whatever his actual injury is, and I know I, I guess we're not supposed to call it a nagging injury, um, but uh, whatever his injury is, maybe if it <laughs> makes him a little bit more careful with the risks he takes outside the pocket with his body. I'm not worried about the risks with the football. I'm worried about his risks with his body at this point because you guys see him. He's not, you know, he's he's bigger than Michael Vick, but he's not as big as Ben Roethlisberger. And he's got to play appropriately, uh, you know, to to that body size. He can't take some of these hits he's taken. Yeah, with Nick Martin, you know, and you talked about, you know, you're not satisfied, you know, with the play at center. I mean, is it time for us to, you know, this is, he played almost a full season uh, last, you know, back in 2017. But with Nick Martin, you know, coming into 2018, still not quite there. Do we need to be looking at somebody else to try, you know, maybe in the draft or just on the outside, you know, in free agency? I mean, is it time to start looking for someone else that can perform better? Or should we go on and start Greg Mance at center? You know how well he performed in 2016, you know, when he was hurt. Should we make a change and move Nick around the line? And maybe we can do a different combination and make it work. What do you think about that, Um, I I actually, I like Nick Martin. Um, I think there's, he's not as far along as I thought he would be at this point in his career. And and that's where it comes back to Bill O'Brien and Mike Devlin, the offensive line coach. And how they develop offensive players. Um, when I watch these guys, I just see they, they don't pick up blitz as well, you know, and that includes the running backs. Um, they don't pick up simple twists well, where it's not even a blitz, but you've got the off- a defensive tackle and a defensive end uh, just just pulling a stunt together. But I've seen good. I've seen good games and I've seen some good play out of Nick Martin. It's just a matter of the consistency. The one thing that concerns me is. That in the run game, you know, and this is going on for however many years now, he wants to be a game plan offensive coordinator. And in the run game, unless you have Tom Brady as your quarterback, I think you still have to have some bread and butter plays. You know, you have to have you have to have a stretch outside zone or maybe you're a power team. Whatever you're going to be, you're going to get those offensive linemen good at at least one specific play or at least one mode of play. And I don't think they ever really give these guys a chance to do that. And there will be times you saw in the game on Sunday, mm-hmm. second at the, that drive at the end of the second quarter, they were doing a great job with the zone running game and, and they were driving the ball down. And then unfortunately you had the sack, uh, you had the, the interception and it all fell apart on that drive, but they had been doing some good things, but you have to build on that and you have to do a con- 
consistently. If you look at the Rams, you know, and, and how they build things off of their outside zone running game and use it to set up the boot, and that makes it easier for Goff. I just don't see that consistency from week to week. So I, I mm-hmm. cut some of these guys a break because we see what happens. They go off to other teams and they play just as well, if not better, um, or or they come in here as rookies and they're ruined over the course of four years like Xavier Suafilo. Yeah, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. You just said it. I mean, there are a couple of things you just said was really interesting. The communication. I mean, it's one thing to not have the talent, but I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen defenders like two or three come in on the Texans unblocked because two guys are looking at each other, waiting for the other guy to block or something like that. And the, the other thing is just Mike Devlin in general, like it feels like he gets a pass. I think everybody assumes that O'Brien is controlling everything, but you know, somebody's making these decisions on who should play where on the offensive line. And a lot of us are not agreeing where the Texans are doing it. So what do you think about those two things? I, I think that the old, the old Patriots philosophy, or at least as I've been told, the old Belichick philosophy is that if you're a good position coach, your position will play well. Um, and there's all kinds of excuses that you can make for why the Texans offensive line isn't playing well. They still had a bunch of these same issues when, when Dwayne Brown was here, you know, um, and Dwayne Brown masked a lot of other, you know, problems because you could always help out the right tackle and leave Dwayne Brown out by himself. But uh, if the, if the unit is consistently not that good, then something's not going right. And it's either it's either what Mike Devlin is being asked to do to coach these guys. And I know some of the players that were here when um, when Bill O'Brien first got here said that it it was it is it was it was hard to be mentally right with those protection schemes. Um, And sometimes you draw it up perfectly on the chalkboard, but when an offensive lineman's responsibilities change um, within the snap or right before the snap, little, little changes that seem really simple on the chalkboard get really difficult out on the field. That's why, like, as a defensive lineman, one of the best things you can do to get free, you'll, you'll get free, uh, five free tackles for a loss a year just by changing your alignment right before the snap because it throws everything into flux on the offensive line. All the rules change, responsibilities change. And I always get the sense that at times with the Texans, it feels like the coaching staff themselves are doing that to them. You know, like, uh, even uh, the when Nick Martin mollies out to pass protect against the edge defender, which looks awesome and it looks impressive when he does it, but it's fundamentally unsound and it's a really hard thing to do. And Bill O'Brien was in love with doing that for like a year and a half. I don't get that. I I think it's taking a relatively simple task and making it more complex than it needs to be. And a lot of times when guys look stupid on film, when when guys who aren't stupid, because those offensive linemen on that team aren't dumb, those are all bright guys. At times they look stupid on film. Usually to me, that's evidence that they're thinking too much and they've got too much on their plate. Um, When the center can't doesn't snap the ball. I mean, how many weeks have we seen yeah. this now? Yeah. The center's not snapping the ball. You've got poor Julian Davenport taking offsides penalties because like he's got his own problems. I'm not giving him a whole pass. But Nick Martin's not snapping the ball on time. It, it's likely Nick Martin like he went to Notre Dame. He's not a moron. He's got too much going on in his brain. <laughs> Stepping on his feet and everything, you know, it's, it's yeah. got something. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I've got a question as far as like one one thing that Kubiak would do and that O'Brien didn't. But just uh, want to remind everybody really quick that if your company is looking for new ways to reach customers, 
You could be mentioned right now, podcast listeners, 60% more likely to interact with sponsors they hear on their podcast. Our demographic is 98% male, more educated. They're earning more than traditional media audiences. If you'd like to be a sponsor, email us at LockedOnTexans at Mail.com. And Brian, what can you tell us about our partners over at Blue Chew? Yes, yes, guys. Let's talk about sex. Good sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know how they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work twice as fast as a pill, so whenever you can be ready, an opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code LOCKEDON and pay just $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E. Chew.com and use promo code LOCKDOWN to try it for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. Hey, Seth, prior to this week, the Texans were ranked 22nd in the NFL and using the play action pass. That's even something like Gary Kubiak could make it. He could make a mediocre offensive line look way better with the play action. How much do you think something like that would help? Just more play action passes. Why not? Yeah, I'm I'm all for that. And it's always it's funny cuz you always see the stats on how much more effective certain quarterbacks are with the play action and, and in your mind you think, "Okay, well, what why don't they just do that every single time?" Um and it, but you know how it works. You have to balance things out and you have to keep defenses guessing and you can't you can't rely on it too heavily. I I think that one thing that we've seen this year is a transition that Deshaun has to make at some point, um, and he has to get good at it, which is playing under center. You know, and, and play action under center is so much more effective um, than play action in terms of, uh, you know, setting it up to pass the ball than play action from the gun because there's just more deception involved. Linebackers are just – linebackers are more scared of a running back lined up seven yards deep in the backfield with a quarterback under center because when that dude gets the ball, he's going to be coming at full speed. Um, you know, when, when it's out of the gun and you just fake it off to the side, guys can just play it slow and, and it's not as effective. So so that requires Deshaun to do something that he's not still extremely comfortable doing. But I did see evidence in the game again, ironically, in this Buffalo game where he was so bad passing the ball. I saw evidence of him being more comfortable with the play action from under center. So I think as he starts getting healthy um, and I think as he continues to get more comfortable with that, we'll see that come along. And this morning, this morning, I was on the fire Bill O'Brien. I was the conductor of the, you know, at the end of the year, if this doesn't get better, you got to fire Bill O'Brien. Uh, we'll see where this goes from here, because I do think they have some things they can build on. And it's just that when you get down to the red zone, oh man, see, now I'm going to get, I'm going to be bipolar in this podcast, man. Um, I mean, cause <laughs> every ahead, time every t- I talk myself into it, I'm talking myself into Bill O'Brien, uh, but then I get down to the one yard line. And it's it's first and goal on the one. And offenses score touchdowns 85% of the time when they have first and goal on the one, which frankly seems low to me. I don't know. I guess penalties probably do a lot of teams in uh, at that point. Um, but if, if you can't move people with your offensive line and 
I wasn't a big fan of Jay Prosh um, as a fullback. I am a fan of having fullbacks on the offense, you know, and as, as much as people keep reporting that fullbacks are on the way out in the NFL, three of the four teams that were in the championship games last year had fullbacks on their roster. Um, they, 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 when used effectively, as you see with San Francisco, they do a great job. Um, Jay Prosh didn't develop the way I would have liked him to. The problem is that now you have Ryan Griffin, who's not a capable blocker, also acting as your pseudo fullback. And when you try to get down there on the goal line and you don't really have a lot of options, you got two other tight ends that are just rookies. And then you've got the offensive line being what it is. It's really hard all of a sudden to be a tough physical football team. And that's where I think, I think some of that's just going to have to come down to Deshaun being a better red zone quarterback because it's not his fault that the offensive line is bad, but that's what he's going to have to deal with. And that's what he's, that's what he has to work with right now. Kind of thought Jordan Thomas might be that sort of semi fullback for him. They were going to use his ability there. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm excited about him. It's uh, it's hard. And I, and again, man, I, he, he had a couple missed blocks in the run game that I was upset about. Uh, during the during the game but he's a rookie and it's just uh learning how to be a guy that, that especially in college offenses these days to come and block grown men in the nfl it's it's hard to expect that in the first year but i think both those guys you know akins and uh, as well they they're willing to block and that's a really exciting thing is uh, they look like they they stay after that unlike some of the offensive linemen when those guys miss a block they try to regroup and and fix what's wrong that's one of the things that's been driving me crazy and honestly i'll i'll put this back on coaching too is that i i saw kendall lamb last year in that first game that he started quit in the middle of a play and just watched Deshaun Watson get hit by blocking. And then yesterday on Sunday in the game, uh, he got beaten late on the ground while there was a loose ball four feet from him. After his guy had just had just hit Deshaun and Kyle Williams had caused that fumble, he's just laying on the ground there. Um, and uh, I, that, that lack of urgency when you get beat, I just, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know what the remedy is for that other than that you already saw it out of Kendall Lamb once last year, and he still remains on the team. Last thing, Brian, you want to you want to ask him about Clowney? Yeah, just in, in terms of what you, you think the Texans are going to do, we're not going to let him walk. There's there's no way the Texans are going to to let him walk. But do you see them do, going with the franchise tag, or is this still going to get done? It should have been done, you know, over the summer. But I guess they were waiting to see, you know, how his health is going to be. And so far, so good. You know, he missed that one game against the Titans. You know, there's you know, controversy over whether or not was he really hurt or whatnot. But what do you think the Texans are going to go from here? I think think they figure it out somehow. Um, Boy, he's an interesting case because he just absolutely blows offenses up. Uh, If he were, if it was a baseball arbitration, I would feel bad for him because you know how it goes in baseball arbitration. They're going to they're going to use all the conventional stats and means for figuring it out. And, you know, if 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 football had an equivalent of baseball arbitration, it would be based heavily on sacks and pressures and all of that. And I don't think that really measures the true impact of what Jadavion Clowney can do. You know, in the times we were talking about it on the show the other day, he's almost like a. He's almost like an athletic nose guard at times in that he, he soaks up blockers. You know, he's like a he's the athletic version of Ted Washington, where at times, even when he's not making the play, he's blowing three guys up and other guys are making the play around him. And I think the Texans appreciate that. It just comes down to, OK, what's his actual market value? Um, and 
teams are more willing to use the franchise tag now uh, in situations like this than I think they were before. And I think they were willing to allow it to get contentious. Um, but I also, I, if I were them, I wouldn't underestimate Jadeveon Clowney's ability to uh, maybe get a get pissed off and just and and have a genuine protracted holdout. So I, I don't know what deal they come up with. I don't think it's going to be a Khalil Mack type of money. Um, but I think they come up with something and maybe it's a, maybe it's in the, ver- maybe it's in the form of a lot of guaranteed money, but on a shorter term deal. So it's not Khalil Mack money in terms of total contract um, or even over the first three seasons, but there's a lot of guaranteed money involved with it. Tell us about your podcast, Seth, because I I was listening and I know you got a guy that knows a lot about dysfunctional franchises because he worked for one of them. Michael Lombardi has been a guest with you a few times. Tell us about that. You know, Michael Lombardi, he was a personnel executive for a long time, you know, most notably as GM of the Bears, and he gets a lot of crap for that. Um, But he was also with Bill Belichick the first go around in Cleveland he's been with Bill Belichick uh, in New England he was with the 49ers and Bill Walsh back in the day he was with Al Davis back in the day so he's just got a ton of great stories and he's got a ton of in-depth football knowledge and I used to he used to be on my radar because about like one out of every 10 of his takes would really uh, anger me for whatever reason now that I've started to get to know him I realized that I was probably in the wrong on 90% of that 10%. So, uh, so he legitimately angers me 1% of the time with a, with a, with a <laughs> false take. Uh, but 99% of what he does is really smart. So we're lucky enough to have him on, uh, to have him on once a week. And then I'm supposed to, uh, I got to start booking more guests on the deceptively fast podcast. It's been mostly just Michael Lombardi and Sean Pendergast and me. Yeah, the dysfunctional franchise I was thinking about was his days as GM with the Browns a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I almost give everybody with the Browns involved over the like the last fifteen years a pass because I don't I don't know what it is about that organization except that and and this is where I get nervous when I start advocating getting rid of Bill O'Brien. You you see what happens when you bring in GM after GM after GM and head coach after head coach after head coach is that whoever you bring in they're not going to completely like all the people on your roster. And maybe they're not going to fit what they want to do. So you have to start completely from scratch each time. And you end up with this mishmash, uh, you know, this, this quilting pattern of players on your team that don't really all work together. And I, I don't want to see that. This is where I'm impressed so far with Brian Gain and, and the Brian Gain, Bill O'Brien connection. And this is something that I talked about with Michael Lombardi before, before this came to fruition this year. They care and they focus on special teams. If there's one thing the Texans have done an awful job of the last decade, it's caring and focusing on special teams. And I would, inc- you know, and I would include Rick Smith and Bill O'Brien both in that. They go out and they get a new special teams coach this year. I think Brian Gain has some guys at the bottom of the roster that are passionate and vicious special teams players. And now all of a sudden they have respectable special teams. You know, uh, the the actual specialists aside right for the moment, uh, the rank and file on the special teams are doing pretty well. And they're top. They're probably going to end up top five DV, DVOA this week. Um, so that's encouraging to me in terms of the focus of the direction, uh, the focus in the direction of the franchise. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And it, for anybody that doesn't know by now, Mad Radio 6 to 10, right? 6 to 10 a.m. on Sports Radio 610. That's right. Hey, now, I, man, I, I love what uh, the whole Locked On Network does. You guys are great. It's really, 
it's it's a great story and especially because you know you like i'm i'm still learning uh like the the learning curve for me over these last five years with the nba has been a steep one and uh i listen to ben dubose every morning on my way in during the rocket season and then i have to credit him for the takes that i steal from him on air which is awkward because he works <laughs> for the competition too uh, but <laughs> but i always do try to credit ben for uh for the rocket takes that i steal from him Ben is the best, and so are you. You've always been good to me, Seth. Thanks so much for doing this. Hey, my pleasure, guys. This is fun. Thank you. Thanks so much. We're going to wrap it up real quick. Just remind everybody that uh, LockedOnTexans.com, the place to go. Andy Rio, Calvin Crawford doing good work for us over there on the writing side. Look for Brian on HouseOfHouston.com. You can check out my Houston Sports Talk podcast. We're giving you Astros post games after every one of the Astros uh, postseason victories and losses, both of them. Uh, so stay tuned for that on my Houston Sports Talk podcast. That's all we got for Locked On Texas. As always, thanks for making us a part of your week. You are Locked On Texans, your daily Houston Texans podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yeah.